Well, good morning. Welcome to Living Hope this morning, whether you're with us in person or watching online. It's good to be together this morning as we worship God. Um, my name is Pastor Katie, and I um, get to serve as the youth pastor here at Living Hope. Um, we like to begin our service with this greeting that Christians have been using for hundreds of years. Um, many of you already know it, but it is on the screen. Um, the Lord be with you. Amen. We believe that our creator God is present with us wherever we are, whether we're watching online or we're together here in person. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for meeting us here today, uh, for guiding us into these moments where we can uh, connect with the God who made us, the God who loves us. Um, we might be, uh, some of us gathered together publicly in a room, but still, God, we, as we sang, there's this secret, quiet place at the center of our being, uh, the core of our thoughts, the core of our hearts, where you connect with us, God. And as we go through life, you, you desire to meet us there. You desire to meet us right in the middle of the, the busyness, in the middle of the stress, in the middle of the anxieties, in the middle of the frustrations and the injustices, in the middle of all of it, God, uh, you long to meet us right there in the stillness and the quietness of our hearts, of our thoughts. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to cultivate a, uh, a habit of paying attention to you and to your Holy Spirit, of quieting ourselves in the midst of all the noise so that we can hear you speaking words of encouragement, words of strength, Sometimes, God, you, you speak words of confrontation and challenge. There are things we need to change. God, today we have set aside this time uh, to gather together, um, whether in person or virtually, to, to center our hearts and thoughts on you, to, to, to invite you to speak, to tell us what it is you would, you would have us do. <laughs> I mean, we're going to listen to the scriptures, and this, this last song was, was taken right out of the prophets, God, taken right out of the scriptures of what it is you expect of us. And God, as you speak to us today about the kinds of lives that you created us to live, I pray that you would help us to hear these words uh, that you speak in, in the Bible with, with hope, to hear these words not as words of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, I don't know, that we don't bump up against this and just think of ourselves as, oh, I'm a failure. I've not lived that life. Or, oh, I could never live that life. But instead, God, help us to hear these words, uh, hopefully, as you inviting us into a life that is beautiful, that is good for us and for the world. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us here. You see us as we really are. You see through the, the masks. <laughs> I, mean, I never thought that we'd be... Uh, talking about literal masks that we wear over our faces, God. Usually I'm thinking of like the metaphorical mask that we put up to pretend that everything is fine. But God, you see through all of our pretense. You see through everything that, that we might try to put up between us and you. And we thank you today, God. I was reminded as we sang one of those songs, as we sang, I want to see your face, that you are completely unmasked to us, God. That we can see every bit of the love and the grace, the compassion, the strength there written on your face as you look to us. As your face shines upon us and you are gracious to us today, God. Thank you. Thank you for meeting us here. Help us to have eyes to see you, to have minds to perceive you, to have hearts to sense your presence, your nearness, 
your grace, your love. God, you know all the junk that we carry with us, all those things that weigh us down, all those wounds that are still, that are still just bleeding all over us, God, that we, just, we can't help but carry them with us everywhere we go. And today we come to you for healing. Today we come to you for strength. Today we come to you for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace. Today we come to you for wisdom and for peace. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you that we don't have to pretend that we can be open with you and find that you are more than enough. Thank you, God. We pray all this confident in your love, confident in your presence, confident in your victory over sin and death and everything that comes against us because we see that in Jesus. So it's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, you can go ahead and have a seat. Those of you who are gathered with us here, uh, normally we would be wandering around greeting each other and shaking hands and giving hugs and all of that, but we can't really do that today. Um, so, oh, I see somebody trying to fist bump over there. I saw some elbows uh, connecting earlier. Um, you know, there are some things we can do and some things we just can't right now. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate and it's frustrating. Uh, you know, several of you aren't able to even to be in the room with us. And so you're watching online. And we're, we're grateful that you're gathered together with us today, uh, even though uh, he can't be here with us. Uh, it's good to see some of you here uh, for the first time in a long time. Um, and I know that some of you are out there watching are just looking forward to that day when you can come and be with us. Uh, I got to tell you, just real briefly, as your pastor, it's been a struggle lately for me. Uh, because, you know, the numbers are not going down. The numbers keep going up, uh, including in our area. And, um, and it makes me nervous sometimes to know that we're gathering a group of people together in an enclosed space and we're singing together. And yes, almost all of us walk in with a mask on. We would love for that to be all of you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but most of us take our masks off once we're at our seats. And I just got to say, it makes me nervous. Um, and so... If you have any apprehension about being in the room, if you see the news and you think, oh, I don't know if I should be there, um, please just continue to watch online. Uh, don't feel like you need to be in the room right now. Um, I, I've got a board meeting coming up in, uh, in a week and a half, and, uh, or a little less than that, just over a week. And, um, I mean, that's one thing we're going to be just kind of prayerfully considering is do we continue to do this right now with the way that the, the numbers are going, or do we need to scale back again and go back to online only and... and uh, just letting you know, please be praying for us as a church, uh, for me as your pastor, for your church board, as we talk about these things. I would, I would love to just continue to go on. And I, I mean, I'm looking forward to the day that we can just kind of forget about all this stuff and just all walk in and hug each other and all that. We're just not there yet. And um, that's frust as frustrating for me as it is, I know, for many of you. Um, none of us want to be in a place where there's a virus that's ravaging uh, people, where there's... Uh, people continuing to go into the hospital, people continuing to die, and people who don't die but who continue to have lingering health effects from catching this thing. Um, man, all right. Uh, there's a part of me that just needs to stop thinking about that right now because that, there's nothing we can do about that right at this minute other than pray, other than ask God, please continue to be with us. Please continue to keep us safe. Please continue to give us wisdom uh, to be thoughtful and respectful and uh, and please, God, continue to guide those doctors and researchers uh, who are working on cures and treatments and all the rest. Uh, we need his help. Um, 
as, as much today as we always do, it feels like we need his help a whole lot more. Um, all right. Uh, if you're here in the room with us, uh, obviously you can drop an offering in the offering box. If you're watching online, you can give by going to our website, livinghope.info, and, uh, or I think there's probably a link in the comments at some point uh, that you can click on. Uh, you could also, if you felt like it here in the room, you could grab a welcome card and jot us a note for how we can pray for you or connect with you that way. But all of us could, you could just pull out your phone and the people who are watching online could click the link to that little digital connect card. I think it's just livinghope.info slash connect card. And, uh, and let us know you're with us. Let us know how we can pray for you, uh, all of that. Um, because we would love to continue to pray for you, even though we, again, aren't gathering together uh, to do these things very much. Uh, I continue to pray, and there are others who continue to pray. Uh, so let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, let us know um, if there are steps that you're taking we can celebrate with you and thank God with you, or ways that uh, uh, you need some encouragement or have some questions. You can do all that through that connect card, through that little, that little card there in the back. Um, all right. So uh, how many of you uh, have seen the musical Hamilton? Can I just see a real quick show of hands? You've seen the musical at some point. Uh, I, I'd never seen it. I was, uh, we were handed a CD, I think, like a bootleg copy of the soundtrack years ago uh, when it first came out. And so Stacy and I were listening to it. It's this unusual, you know, hip-hop musical about Alexander Hamilton, the Treasury Secretary from way back in the Revolu American Revolution and all of that. Well, they, they did a movie version of it, and they released it Fourth of July weekend. I finally saw it last Sunday night. And... Uh, Man, there are songs from that musical that just continue to resonate in my head all week long. It's just, it's, they're catchy and they don't let go, uh, including that, is it the second song about not throwing away my shot and, uh, you know, you've got to rise up. And, and it's an amazing song. I don't remember which song. The third song? Okay, whatever. Uh, it's early in, the, early in the musical. She knows which track it is. Um, early in the musical. And that's just been resonating in my head. And I've been thinking about it as we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus laying out this vision for who we as his people could be. I'm thinking, man... Uh, what if we did rise up as a church? Uh, what if we didn't waste the opportunity that he gives us to be salt and light, what we talked about last week, you know, to be that salt of the earth that brings out the flavor that, that makes people thirsty uh, for, uh, for more of God? What if we really could be that light of the world, that city on a hill that can't be hidden, that lamp that's on its stand, that letting the light of Christ shine through us so that people are pointed to our Heavenly Father? Um, what if we really could rise up and be that people? Uh, there are millions, billions of people around the world that, that call themselves Christians, call themselves followers of Jesus. What if we would really just rise up and live the life he calls us to live? Jesus describes that in this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's what we're looking at. Uh, we started last week. We're looking at it today. We're going to finish chapter 5 today, which means we're really moving through. Uh, we're not spending 20 weeks on this like it did 11 years ago when we made our way through this. I think that was the last time I went through the Sermon on the Mount as a, as a section. Obviously, picked up little bits and pieces along the way, but uh, the last time I went through it all together, uh, encouraging you to read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and us listening to it as a unit, um, we went through every little piece. And today we're looking at these ethics of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus on how we're supposed to live. And, uh, you know, Matthew has presented Jesus as, as sort of this new Moses. Remember, way back in the story of the people of Israel, God led his people out of slavery in Egypt, where for generations they had been dehumanized and, and Moses leads them to the mountain of God, goes up the mountain, meets with God, brings down these authoritative words from God about here's what it means to be human. He's trying to rehumanize his people. Let them know it's, it, here's what it looks like to live together uh, in a way that honors God, a way that you're created to live. And now Jesus is doing something similar. Matthew presents Jesus seeing the crowds gathered. And uh, so he goes up a mountain, he sits down to teach, and his disciples come to him. 
That's much like what church is every Sunday for, for many of us right now. Uh, you know, those who are following Jesus gather together to learn from him. Okay, what would you say to us? How are we to live if, as we're following you, Jesus, as our Lord, as our master, as our, as our leader, as our savior? Uh, how, do, how are we supposed to live? And then there are all these other folks who listen in, who are curious. You, I don't know. Some of you might be in that category today. Some of you watching might be in that category. It's like, oh, I'm not sure I'm following Jesus at this point. Um, I haven't really put my trust in him, but I am curious. I want to hear what he has to say. Well, here's part of what he has to say, and it is challenging. Uh, when, I, when I walked through this section um, uh, of his ethical teachings, as he takes the laws of Moses, is what he ends up doing in the rest of chapter 5. He takes them and he follows a pattern. You'll see each paragraph basically is, is him saying, okay, you've heard that it was said, and then he gives them something that they have often heard. Maybe some of it's from the Ten Commandments. Uh, some of it's from other laws that God had given to his people along the way or that had spoken through the prophets. And then he says, but I tell you, and he tells them, and this is how you ought to live that out. He says, you've heard that it said that we should do this, but, I'm, but then he, he like goes deeper, or he goes further with it. He's, he's expanding on it. He's interpreting for us how it is that God wants us to live. Uh, this section starts with verse 17. I think, I've got, I think I managed to get these on the screen and, and all that, or some of you might open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 17, where Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He said, I'm not getting rid of them. I'm not going to teach you to ignore them. He said, I'm going to teach you what it means to, to live them out. In, in rabbi speak, back in Jesus' day, he was a rabbi, a teacher. People looked to him uh, to interpret the law of God, to say, what does God want for us? To fulfill meant, here, I'm giving you my take on it. This is, this is what it looks like to live this out. This is what God was hoping you would arrive at as you, as you received these instructions from him. And then a couple of verses later, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Those are challenging words. And that's why many people, when they, when they look at this passage that we're going to look at today, when they look at the Sermon on the Mount, they think, okay, this is just impossible. You know, maybe Jesus didn't really expect us to do these things. Maybe Jesus was just setting a very lofty goal and, uh, and then saying, like, okay, uh, shoot for that but I know you won't really make it. Um, this, this talk of being more righteous or your righteousness uh, surpassing that of the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, I and mean, these are the people that people in Jesus' day looked at as like, well, but they're the really religious folks. How am I supposed to be more religious than them? How can I out-religious the religious leaders? You know, how can I do better than them? And they were, they were scrupulous in the way they followed the commands. They also, Jesus butted heads with them over and over and over again. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see over and over again, Jesus bumps into them and he says, okay, yeah, you're, you're doing what the law says to do, but you're like perverting it. You're like going around it. You're like finding loopholes or you're, you're ignoring the weightier matters of the law, he says at some point. Um, they were finding ways to avoid what God really wanted them to do while still, you know, being kind of uh, true to the letter of the law specific as it was written, right? Uh, I can relate to that. I just got to tell you, as a human being, uh, growing up, I, I, it was very important to me that I was following the rules and that I was doing what I was supposed to do. And, and so there were all kinds of times that I would make sure I was doing just exactly what I was told, even though I wasn't really what they wanted me to do. My parents are both in the room today, and I don't know if they remember examples of this or not. I don't have a specific story to tell you this morning. I just can remember multiple times kind of thinking like, oh, no, I didn't say anything that was untrue, but I made sure I said it in a way that they heard something different than what the truth really is right? I don't know if any of you have ever done that. Uh, I remember doing that as a kid, and at some point, finally, God helped me see, like, okay, that's not telling the truth. That's being careful not to lie, but you're communicating something. You're making sure they hear something, and they think you're saying something different than 
than what the truth really is. And uh, Jesus encounters this with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, over and over again. He said, on the outside, yes, you're obeying all the rules, but inside it's ugly. Your hearts have not been changed. You have not been really trying to, you've been missing what God was trying to do by giving you these instructions. You're not living the life that God created you to live. You're, you're throwing away your shot, to use the, the Hamilton thing. And I probably won't mention that again. All right, just so you know. All right. So some folks, as they read this, uh, some Christians, as they read this, they say, okay, this really is just impossible. The, the whole reason that Jesus sets these high and lofty goals for us in the Sermon on the Mount is so that we become aware of the, the fact that we just can't do that, and we're driven to grace. We're driven to, to we're, we recognize our own sinfulness and brokenness, and we're driven to God to say, God, you know I can't do this, uh, and I've failed time and time again. Would you forgive me? And it, it just kind of teaches us to depend on God's grace. Like Jesus makes it so impossible that we know that we need God's help. And that we know we can't, can't really do it. Um, do I have the Romans 3 in there, I think? Uh, where, oh, no, I forgot. Yeah, at the very end of this passage in chapter 5, Jesus, he, the part we're looking at today, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, if anything seems impossible, that's it, right? Uh, no way I can be perfect like God is perfect. And, uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll talk about what that means in just a little bit, okay? Um, and so we hear this and we think, okay, I can't do that. And so... You know, we, we, we turn to God. And, and sure enough, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, you know, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. You've probably heard that verse before. Uh, and then he continues, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I mean, it's true. We've all sinned. None of us have lived up to, to God's dream for us when he created us, the life that he, that he called us to live, that he created us to live. None of us have just done that on our own. And so we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard for us. We all have to depend on God's grace and, and what he does for us in Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. But he, then that's the thing, that, that God then gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to strengthen us, to help us to live a life that's better than the life we lived before. The Christian life is not just a perpetual you know, failure cycle where we just continually fail and just continually go back to God and say, well, yeah, God, you know, I blew it again this week. You know, um, The very first one that, that Jesus looks at, it has to do with murder, like, yep, murdered people again this week. Sorry, you know, I can't live up to your commands, so, but I'm glad that you forgive me. You know, that, that seems ridiculous, you know, to say that. We would never say, oh, yeah, just go out and keep killing people. Um, you know, God forgives you. But some of us kind of live our lives in this fatalistic failure cycle where we just kind of think, I could never really change. And Jesus, no, Jesus is calling us now to this better life, this beautiful life. So, um, now, it probably is important to say before we dive into the, these segments here that Jesus is speaking, uh, I heard one pastor describe it as prophetic hyperbole. I thought, oh, those are two good words to put together for, that describes what Jesus says here. Uh, they're prophetic in that they, they lay things out in very black and white ways. Uh, it's, it's very much, uh, this is how things should be, no exceptions, no, you know, there's no uh, quibbling about the details. He just says, this is how it should be. Uh, it's prophetic in that sense. Of course, we understand there always are like exceptions and situations where um, it was like, okay, I was talking about telling the truth earlier. And we have stories of people hiding Jews in the, you know, World War II and uh, uh, keeping them safe from the Nazis who lied about like, you know, knock, knock, knock. You hiding any Jews? No, no, we're not hiding any Jews here. Of course not. Well, there's Jews hiding up in their attic, right? Like, okay, should they have just said, yep, yep, sorry. Yep, they're upstairs. Let me show you, you know. No, we, we, we say, no, that was an appropriate time to deceive the evil people who were trying to kill the people that they, you know, that they were protecting. 
Um, so I'm not super comfortable with the whole prophetic way of speaking. Uh, you guys know, this, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, that's not how I talk, that's not how I preach, that's not how I, I talk to, to you. Um, but that's how Jesus lays things out here. Very black and white, he doesn't get into the exceptions at this point. And he uses hyperbole, which is exaggeration to make a point. Um, and so he says some things that sound outlandish to us, and, and we think, really? Is that what he meant? And we think, well, okay, let's, he's telling us to take this seriously, and he's trying to help us to imagine something, to see clearly how important this is. We're going to take him seriously, even though we might not. We'll, we'll get into those details. The, the example that, uh, that, I, that I heard recently that I thought was helpful, have you ever said to anybody, man, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? You ever, have you ever said that or heard someone say that? Yeah. I couldn't eat a horse if I tried, right? I mean, there's just too much meat there. There's no, it's not possible. And you're not supposed to eat horses anyway, but you know, it's, it's trying to help you see I am crazy hungry right now, right? It's, it's hyperbole. It's exaggeration to make a point. And so Jesus says some things in here that are going to sound to us like eating horses, all right? And, uh, and we have to say, okay, what is he saying with this? That doesn't mean he's telling us like just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, don't worry, you don't really have to think about this. No, he is setting for us this, this goal, this picture of this is what human life was meant to be. Uh, if you, you know, get to that Matthew 5, 40, 48 and be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect, you know, he's like, this is the goal. That Greek word uh, for perfect there means mature, means you've arrived, you're complete. And it's like he's saying, this is, the, this is the goal. This is where you're headed. You might not be there yet, but this is where you're headed. You might stumble a lot getting there, but this is where you're headed. This is serious. He really does want us to live this out. All right, so let's go ahead and, uh, and look at him. In, uh, one of the, he does tackle one of the Ten Commandments, right? In the first one, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's a good one. I like that one, right? I'm a fan of this command. Um, not murdering people is a good thing. Jesus, but then Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoa. Wait a second. I thought the line was here, like, don't kill that guy. But I've been, you know, angry with him for years. I'm not killing him. I'm obeying the command, but I'm, I hate him. I'm angry with him. I'm, and Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 no, you're missing the point of this. If you're harboring anger in your heart toward that person, just because you're not killing them doesn't mean you're fine with God or fine with them, right? Uh, I don't remember if I have this in the, the next verse. He says, Again, anyone who uh, says to a brother or sister, Racha, which is a term of contempt, uh, fill in the blank with whatever term of contempt you would like, whatever swear you'd like to say to people under your breath or in your thoughts. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. He's like, what is going on in your heart begins to spill out of your mouth, begins to be lived out in your actions. And Jesus is saying it's not enough just to draw a line out here and not actually, you know, swing a weapon and kill that person. What matters to God is what's going on several steps back. And this, I think, is what Jesus is, is getting at with the whole, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were good about making sure they didn't cross that line, but they were missing what God was trying to do in changing their hearts, changing their lives, changing the way they thought about others. Because there's, I don't know how you act in loving ways towards someone consistently when you're harboring anger and hatred in your heart toward them. You're just going to, at the very least, you're just going to avoid them. You know, maybe you won't kill them, but, you know, but you're not going to love them like Jesus calls us to do. 
So he's saying, this is, this is one of those commands. Like I said, I'm a fan of it. Don't murder. But most of us, we've probably seen that and thought, oh, I don't have to worry about that, right? I'm not about to murder anybody. I'm not even close. But we've probably all at some point been angry with somebody, right? <laughs> I mean, at some point, we've probably all been driving down the road and thought, oh, you moron. You, you know, said, said things about that driver over there that did some other thing that got in our way or whatever. And uh, he's saying, yeah, you want to be careful about that. Um, now, this is one of those uh, that, again, he's speaking very black and white. Like, don't be angry. But there are moments where anger is appropriate, right? I mean, anger at injustice is an appropriate response, an appropriate emotional response. This is why in other parts of Scripture it says, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, don't, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Um, there are multiple places where it talks. Jesus is even described as being angry in some places. So, and we know Jesus didn't sin. Um, so anger sometimes is an appropriate response to what we see going on in the world, what we see being done to another person, uh, systems of of oppression or violence, that we see that we get angry, and that motivates us to change something, to out of love for that person who's being oppressed or hurt, to do something to change that, to help them, to lift them out of that. We don't want that anger to lead us to, uh, to hatred. You know, I wanted to quote Yoda for a second there, fear leading to anger and anger to hate and hate. To anyway, uh, because these things lead places, so you don't live there. Yeah, but he's saying, look, it's not enough just to not cross the murder line. What matters is what's going on in your heart, in your thoughts, toward the people around you. Um, and he goes on to talk about relationships. and I don't have all that in there. We don't have time to dig into it. But, um, but he talks about the importance of reconciliation and how much this matters, how our interpersonal relationships are hugely important to God. That's why when Jesus sums up all of what God expects, he says, well, number one, of course, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It says the vertical thing, you can't be okay with God if you're not okay with, with people. We'll get back to that uh, at the end. So the second one, uh, as he goes into it, he says, you have heard that it was said, you, should not, you shall not commit adultery. Another one I'm a big fan of, all right? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, the American public became very aware of this teaching of Jesus back when uh, uh, President Carter was it when he was running for office, I think, and was asked if he'd ever you know, broken the command or committed adultery, and he said, "Well, in my heart, I have." You know, and he admits that that this is a place that he has struggled at some point. Um, and while uh, while statistics actually tell us that the actual people committing adultery is like going down, people actually doing this, I, I think we all know from society and what is on the internet that the whole looking at people lustfully is uh is is kind of on an upswing you know there's no there's no shortage of that going on now here's where some of that hyperbole might come into play in verse 29 if your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell he's saying look Take this seriously. Now, now, there never has been a period in Christian history where Christians were walking around with an eye gouged out and a hand missing. All right, And that's how, if Jesus' earliest followers, I'm sure they struggled with this just as much as anybody does, and if they understood, oh, he doesn't mean I should actually pluck my eyeball out. He's trying to help me see, look, this is serious. And if there are things that, that I need to cut out of my life, if there are relationships I need to back away from, if there are situations I need to avoid in order to make sure that I'm not going down this road of... of harboring lust in my heart, which then eventually will lead to action. That, that impacts us. Uh, he's saying, I need to take this 
Seriously, I need to be willing to suffer and to cut things out. I, way back in the early days of this church, I was approached by a, a couple um, who were struggling because one of them worked with someone who, uh, now I, I, it's been long enough, I don't remember the details. I can't remember if he had had an affair with her in years past, and now they were co-workers, and his wife was like, I can't take the idea of him continuing to work with this person who he's had, a, or I can't remember if it was an actual affair, or it was just on its way to an affair, but, uh, but it was a problem. And, uh, uh-oh, I think I'm in the dark. Hey, Katie, I don't think they can see me on the screen right now because I, I don't see myself on that little picture back there. Hi, out there, I'm still here. Um, uh, sorry, we clicked something that made something go wrong. Hey, look at that, I'm back. Hi, sorry about that. Now, here's the explanation. I messed things up when I was putting my notes in there, and I asked Katie last night, I was like, hey, I think you can click this button over here, and it'll fix that. She's clicking the button I told her to, and I think it's making me go away. Sorry about that. If that's been happening in the past and I just didn't notice it, oops, I'm so sorry. Sorry, everybody. All right, I'll try to do better next week. All right. That situation I was describing to you, it was, it was terrible. And they were struggling because he was saying, I, look, I don't, you know, what do you want me to do, quit my job? Do you want me to, you know, I, I can't change this. This is, what, this is what my job is. I've got to work with this person. And it's been too long. But I'm pretty sure he wasn't willing to quit that job. He wasn't willing to stop working with that person. And those two are no longer married. Um, their marriage blew up at some point. Uh, Jesus is saying, look, you might need to take extreme measures to make sure you don't go down this road uh, of, of saying, well, maybe. You know, that's how I heard one pastor describe this passage. It's like it's not enough to just avoid saying yes to an affair, yes to, to being with someone that's not your spouse. Um, he said, you, you really, Jesus is saying, you don't even just kind of dwell on the maybe. You know, I wonder what it would be like to be with them instead of being with her. Well, I wonder what that would be like. Oh, that, would, that might be a little different. Life might be a little better. Life might be, no, he's saying you, you dwell on that. That's going to poison your relationship with the person you are with or the person you may be with in the future. That's, that's poisonous. And Jesus is saying, look, we can't, that is not living the life that God created us to live. All right, he's saying you've got to step back from that. He continues uh, in the next one. He says, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus had lots of other things to say about divorce, and, uh, and we're not diving into all of that today. Um, but I think what he's confronting here is people who they seem to have a pattern of like saying, it was in the law of Moses. That first part is quoted from the law. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. It was recognizing people get divorced. And when you do, you got to do it responsibly. You got to give her the certificate so that she can go out and, and people aren't going to think she's like cheating on you or something as she's out there trying to find someone else because women in those days couldn't fend for themselves. And uh, he's saying, so you're giving her written proof that yes, you kicked her out of your home and that she's no longer married to you. But you know that those guys didn't do that until they had the next person lined up, right? They, they already had the next person like, oh, I'm going to be with her instead of with her. Okay, hey, hey, you're divorcing you. Like, hi, how's it going, you know? And so they were, again, following the letter of the law, but they were, Jesus saying, look, that's an adulterous way to live. That is not being faithful to your spouse. Now, I know that many of us in the room have, uh, have lived with divorce, have, have suffered through divorce, and... Um, and so, again, he is not saying, like, divorce is not beyond God's grace or anything like that. Um, he's saying that is not what God's intention was for us. That is not the goal that he wants us to live. His goal is faithfulness in a marriage relationship. That's what he wants us to experience. That's what he wants us to enjoy. 
The next verse, he says, uh, again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. And he goes on and gives some examples of people are trying to wiggle around things like, oh, I didn't swear by the temple. I swore by the gold in the temple. I said, you know, oh, come on. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's just, just be people who can be trusted. Be people who, of integrity. Be people who can be true to your word. Just if you say yes, mean yes. If you mean no, say no. Don't do the thing I was describing earlier that I used to do, where you say, oh, yeah, definitely, I promise by, uh, you know, I swear on my, you know, you got your fingers crossed behind your back, or you're, you know, swearing on someone's grave that's not dead, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, the, the ways that people try to wiggle out of stuff. It's like, don't be that kind of people. Get to the really challenging things as you get to the end of this section. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You, you poke my eye out, I get to poke yours out. You knock my tooth out, I get to knock yours out. Which was intended to help people not escalate things back when this law was given. But I tell you, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He, he's laying out there this, this extravagant generosity. Instead of, instead of looking for a way to get even, he's saying, no, no, no. You, you find a way to bless that person who has harmed you. You don't, you don't retaliate, certainly. But you also, well, this is the beautiful thing you know, nonviolent resistance thing that Martin Luther King modeled for us so well in our own society uh, a couple generations ago. Um, that, uh, man, when they're doing you wrong, you stand there, you offer the other cheek, see if they're going to keep doing it, and you do it for all to see. So the ugliness of the situation is revealed, and, um, and so they're forced to deal with you as a human being. Um, there's preached whole messages on this before, but again, it seems impossible to do this. How do I stand there? How do I be generous to someone who's suing me to take my last shirt? And I'm like, oh, you need, my, oh, you need clothes? Okay, here, have my, have my cloak too. You know, someone, Roman soldiers in those days could, could force people who lived in their, uh, you know, uh, lands, like the Jews in, in Jerusalem and, and their area, to, to carry their pack for a mile. But then they were supposed to be limited, like, can't carry it any further. Like, they didn't want to put, put too much on the people. And so Jesus says, oh, they forced you to carry one? Just take it two. Take it two miles. Put them in a situation of having to say, no, 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 please, please, no, don't go any further. Please, no, I need it back because uh, they're going to get in trouble if they are caught you know, making you carry it m- multiple miles. It's not like they can say, no, he wanted to. You know, yeah, sure he did. Okay, whatever. You're in trouble. It's like live a life of such unexpected uh, generosity, even being generous with people who are wronging you, that it... Well, it's like light shining in the darkness. It's like making people thirsty. Like, what is going on there? What is happening? That it reveals the evil of the situation. And then the last paragraph, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which the law that he's quoting actually just says, love your neighbor. The hate your enemy isn't in the law, but it was the way that they all lived. You know, you can get that pretty easily from reading the stories of the Old Testament and the way that people encountered their enemies, uh, the people of Israel and and, uh and it was certainly the way that they, they lived in Jesus' day. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then he ends with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a couple of verses in there that we skipped over. Um, he's saying, look, it's not enough just to love those who love you. You've got to even love people who are treating you bad, people who are wronging you. So you pray for them. 
you, you find ways to love them. Uh, it reminds me of what Jesus says just earlier in this chapter in the list of blessings. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. He says, look, if you are loving your enemies, he says, you will be children of your father in heaven. You'll be living like your heavenly father does. Who doesn't look out there and say, oh, I'm only going to love the people who are good to me. I'm only going to send rain to grow the crops of the people who, who worship me. I'm only going to send the sun to warm the people who, uh, who are doing things right. No, God indiscriminately loves even the righteous and the wicked. And he's saying, if God loves like that, then we are called to love like that too. If it's going to be the light of God that shines through us, then we are going to find ways to love even our enemies. Wow, what if this year uh, just Christians here in America would do that? You know, to say nothing of the way the whole world would change if all of us would find ways to love our enemies, if all of us would find ways. I just was asked by somebody this morning as we were, you know, the service hadn't started yet, most of you weren't in the room, and, and somebody, we were talking about just the way life is, and uh, I said, man, I wonder how, how do all these wars start anyway? How do all this violence break out? What is it that, that starts all these things? Oh, it's always something different, but what if those of us who are Christians said, you know what, we're going to love our enemies, we're going to go out of our way to make sure that people who call themselves our enemies, they know they are loved by God and they are loved by us. When we go out of our way to try to make peace in circumstances, like how divided we are today, uh, I'm just thinking about political divisions, but there are others. You know, it seems like the po- political stuff is what I end up getting into Facebook arguments with people about. I'm trying to get better at that. Man, really am. Um, you know, what if all of us who disagree about political stuff, which many of us in this room disagree about political stuff, what if we could make sure that we're loving each other, treating each other with respect, truly listening to each other, making sure we're not going out of our way to, to, to demonize the other, the other person, but actually trying to understand why is it that you think this? Why is it you think that's the best way to approach this circumstance? Why is it you think that person is best to lead in this way at this time? Man, how might our world be different if the, the millions of us who are Christians would just take this seriously, would just trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he called us to love our enemies, to do good to them, to pray for them. You know, the Apostle Paul said in, in his letter to the Romans, uh, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, we all know it doesn't just depend on us, right? I, I can do my best, and still that relationship can be fragmented. Still, there can be ugliness that takes place there. But I want to make sure as far as it depends on me, that my part that I'm playing, that I am loving, that I am trusting Jesus, that I am doing what he calls us to do. <clears throat> so don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. It's written, I, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And he, a couple of verses later says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We, as God's people, as Christians, we can live lives of, of bold reconciliation, of radical purity, of unwavering faithfulness, of consistent integrity, of a subversive generosity, of extravagant love. This is what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. This is the life that he's trying to describe. We could be a people who reflect the light of Christ into a very dark world. It could be a beautiful thing. So let's trust him. Let's take this seriously. Let's, let's invite God by the power of his Holy Spirit at work. It's not something we can just do on our own. It's got to be his Holy Spirit empowering us to do it. Let's actually live this out with his help. All right, let's pray. Let's pray.
God, you know how much we need your help. Um, as we listen to the, the challenge, these words of Jesus, uh, we are aware of the ways that we have failed. I'm aware of the ways that I have failed to live this life you created us for. Ways that I have uh, misinterpreted your commands. I have, I have twisted them and turned them into something that helps me to do what I want to do instead of actually allowing your Holy Spirit to change me and to make me the person you created me to be. So God, today we pray that you would help us that you would be gracious to us, that you would forgive us for the ways that we failed. Help us today, God, to turn from that kind of living, to turn toward you, to trust you, Jesus, that you can lead us through all the, the turmoil, all the, the difficulties of this life that we're living. God, help us to rise to the occasion that's presented before us, that we don't slip down into living just like everybody else does, that we don't fall down into... Uh, ways of arguing or screaming or hating or anger, that we don't slip into some of the ugliness that is so easy to slip into, but instead, God, would you help us to rise to the occasion, to allow your Holy Spirit to lift us up, to, to live a life that just by the way we're living is going, to, is going to show itself to be different from the people around us. It's going to make people thirsty to want to know, hey, how, how do I respond like that? Hey, how is it that you're able to have this kind of hope, this kind of confidence? How is it you're able to bring people together to make peace? God, the beautiful thing about this relationship with you is that you have invited us. You've adopted us as your kids. You've invited us to be a part of your family. We, you, you call us children of God. And so we want to look like you, Heavenly Father, by the help of your Holy Spirit, guiding us, leading us, empowering us. We want to look like you. In this world, we want to look like Jesus. Thank you, God, for helping to make this possible as we trust you, as we follow you. Thank you, God, that we have this, this sacrament that we get to celebrate together uh, where we take bread and juice and offer them to you and pray that by your Spirit's presence here with us, we can meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood, remembering the great price that was paid to set us free from bondage to sin, to, to make possible this new life. We offer you ourselves, God, and pray that you will do your transforming work in us, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your sons and daughters, as salt, as light. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, if you are watching from home and want to participate in communion, now is your chance. If you haven't already gathered together bread and juice uh, to gather those elements or the closest thing you've got to them, uh, because as soon as we're done with this song, we're going to celebrate communion together before we go. It's true, God. You are worthy of our worship, of our love, of our thanks, of our praise. Thank you that today we get to encounter your grace and your mercy in this tangible, touchable way in the celebration of communion. Uh, if you're with us here in the room, uh, feel free to go ahead and get that little cup. And uh, on the top of it is a little plastic thing you can peel back to get to the bread. 
Uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he gathered with his disciples, uh, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat this in remembrance of me. You can take and eat the bread. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and we'd given thanks. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. You may take and drink. Lord Jesus, we do remember your love shown to us in, in the reality in which we live. In the ugliness of our world, you persisted in love for us to the point of giving your life to set us free. So today, God, would you fill us with the spirit of Christ? Just as we have uh, brought this bread and this juice into our bodies, just as those particles are becoming part of who we are physically, would the spirit of Christ enter into us and and so infuse the way that we live that, that our lives will be different, that our lives will be changed, that we can live as your, as your people, as the body of Christ, as your sons and your daughters, sharing your love with people who so desperately need it, just like we do. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name with thanks. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.